Hello, everybody. This is Bobby Keezer, and you are listening to the Son of Man, Urantia Podcast. This episode begins, Volume 2. Chapter 20.1 Beginning the Public Work On Sunday morning, January 19th, A.D. 27, Jesus and the apostles started gearing up to leave their Bethsaida headquarters at Zebedee's house. All that the apostles knew of Jesus' plans was that they were going to travel through the Jordan Valley on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast in April. Their families and some of the other disciples showed up to say goodbye and wish them well on their journey. And because of this, Jesus and the twelve didn't manage to leave until almost noon. But when they were about to leave, they couldn't find Jesus. Andrew went out to look for him and found Jesus sitting by himself down in a boat on the beach. He was weeping. Seeing Jesus cry startled Andrew. All of the apostles had seen him grieve before and at times become serious and preoccupied, but none of them had actually seen him shed tears. After Andrew pulled himself together, He asked Jesus what had happened to cause him to weep on this great day. Had one of them offended him, he asked. Jesus, walking back with Andrew to rejoin the other apostles, said that none of the apostles had done anything wrong. Continuing on, he said he was sad because none of his family had remembered to come and wished them Godspeed. At the time, Ruth was visiting brother Joseph in Nazareth, which is why she was absent. But with the others, it was pride, disappointment, misunderstanding, hurt feelings, and petty resentment that kept them from supporting their family's eldest son in his father's work. Leaving Galilee Jesus, and news about him, had spread far and wide throughout Galilee and beyond. Since Capernaum wasn't far from Tiberias, and knowing that Herod would soon start to take an interest in him, Jesus decided to head south into Judea with his apostles. About a hundred people who had come to believe in Jesus wanted to follow along with them down to Jordan, but Jesus talked them out of it. At least he did for a few days, and then a bunch of the group decided to follow along anyway. Our crew only made it as far as Terikia that first night. Then the next day, they went to the place on the Jordan River near Pella, where John had baptized Jesus about a year before, and set up camp. They hung out there for a couple of weeks teaching and preaching. By the end of the first week, several hundred people from Perea, Judea, Syria, Galilee, Phoenicia, and the Decapolis had come to camp out nearby. Jesus left the public teaching to the apostles. Andrew organized it all, dividing up the people and assigning the apostles to teach at various times in the day. After dinner, Jesus would talk with the twelve. He stayed away from teaching them anything new, instead reviewing what he had taught them in the past 
and answering all of their questions. At some point in these talks, Jesus told them a little bit of his experiences during the 40 days he was up in the hills nearby. All of the year A.D. 27 was spent quietly bringing in people who had been baptized by John. Andrew had to constantly advise the other apostles on the tact and diplomacy they needed to get along smoothly with John's followers. They did fairly well at this since they weren't saying anything against John or his teachings, and they were not yet baptizing people. Three-quarters of Jesus' followers this first year of public work had in the past followed John. Still, there was tension. The fact that John hadn't saved the fact that Jesus hadn't saved John from his cruel death remained difficult for many of them to accept. God's will and the Father's will. The night before they broke camp and left Pella, Jesus taught the apostles more about the kingdom of heaven. He said, You've been taught to watch for the kingdom of God. I've come to tell you that this long-awaited kingdom is already here among us. Every kingdom needs a king on his throne to decide the laws of the realm. Because of this fact, you think the kingdom of heaven means that the Jewish people will rule in glory over the whole earth. Your Messiah, sitting on David's throne, using miracles to enforce his law on everyone in the world. But, my children, you're not seeing with the eye of faith, and you're not hearing with the understanding of the Spirit. Instead, I'm telling you that the kingdom of heaven is the realization and acknowledgement of God's rule in the hearts of all men. That the king in this kingdom is my father and your father, and that we are indeed his loyal subjects. But much more important than that fact is the transforming truth that we are God's sons. And it is through the life I am living with you on earth now that this truth is being shown to be real to everyone. Our Father also sits on a throne, but it's not one made with mortal hands. The throne of the infinite is the eternal dwelling place of the Father in the heaven of heavens. He fills all things and proclaims his laws to many universes upon universes. And the Father also rules within the hearts of his children on earth through the Spirit that he sent to live in the minds of mortal men. As the subjects of this kingdom, it's true that you are expected to follow the law of the ruler of the universe. But when you, by faith, discover that you yourselves are sons of God because of the gospel of the kingdom that I'm declaring, you will, from then on, Stop looking at yourselves as people having to follow the laws of an all-powerful king, but instead as privileged sons doing the will of your loving and divine Father. But understand this. If you look at the Father's will as your law 
that won't bring you into the kingdom. It's only through the personal experience of the Father's will fully becoming your will that you will gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when God's will is your law, your noble slave subjects. But when you believe in this gospel of divine sonship, my Father's will becomes your will, and that elevates you to the high position of being free children of God, liberated sons of the kingdom. Some of the apostles got part of this teaching, but none of them, except maybe James Zebedee, really understood the full significance of what Jesus said. Still, they all remembered his words, and they would cheer the twelve later in their ministry. The Stay at Amathus Jesus and the apostles stayed near Amathus for almost three weeks. The apostles continued to preach twice daily to the throngs of people, while Jesus preached each Saturday afternoon. The twelve were so busy that they couldn't take Wednesday off anymore for rest and recreation. So Andrew organized the schedule so that for six days a week, two apostles at a time got to take a day off. And then on Saturdays, they were all on duty for Jesus' sermon. Peter, James, and John did most of the public preaching. Philip, Nathaniel, Thomas, and Simon did a lot of the personal work and held classes for special groups of people. The twins continued to be in charge of keeping order among all of the people who showed up, while Andrew, Matthew, and Judas became more or less the management committee, although each of them also did a lot of religious-type work. Andrew was kept busy keeping the peace between John's older disciples and the new people now following Jesus. Serious problems would pop up daily. But Andrew, along with help from the others, got everyone to agree to get along with each other, at least for a while. Jesus stayed out of these squabbles and refused to suggest solutions on how to handle them. When Andrew would ask him what he should do in these cases, Jesus would just say that it's not smart for the host to get involved in the family troubles of his guests, and that a wise parent never takes sides in the petty quarrels of his own children. Jesus was wise and fair when dealing with his followers. He was a master of men, and between his charm and forceful personality, he held great influence over others. His rugged, nomadic, and homeless life gave him a subtle commanding influence, while his teachings were intellectually attractive and spiritually authoritative. Jesus' logic was lucid, his reasoning strong, his insights sagacious, and his mind alert, his poise matchless, and his tolerance sublime. He was simple, manly, honest, and fearless. And adding to Jesus' physical and intellectual attributes were all the spiritual charms that have become associated with his personality. Patience, tenderness, meekness, 
gentleness, and humility. Jesus of Nazareth was a strong and forceful personality. He was an intellectual power and a spiritual stronghold. He not only appealed to the spiritually-minded women among his followers, but also to the educated men, the rugged, red-blooded Galilean fishermen, and the hardiest of Roman soldiers, like the captain who was stationed to guard the cross, and who, when he had finished watching the master die, said, Truly, this was a son of God. The pictures showing Jesus as weak and feminine have hurt young men. The temple merchants wouldn't have run away from a man your art depicts. Jesus was not a mild, sweet, gentle, and kind mystic. He was instead natural, dignified, and thrilling when he taught and went about actually doing good. Jesus never said, Come to me, all of you who are lazy, and all who are dreamers. But he did many times say, Come to me, all of you who labor, and I will give you rest and spiritual strength. The master's yoke is indeed easy, but even so, he never imposes it on anyone. Every person must decide to take this yoke based on their own free will. Jesus demonstrated for us Conquest by sacrifice, specifically the sacrifice of pride and selfishness. By showing mercy, he showed us the way to spiritual deliverance from all anger, grudges, grievances, and the lust for revenge and selfish power. And while Jesus told us to not resist evil, he later explained that he didn't mean we were supposed to be okay with sin or hang with people committing it, but rather that we were supposed to forgive those who harmed us or who hurt our feelings. Teaching about the Father While at Amathus, Jesus spent a lot of time explaining to the apostles the difference between their old ideas of God and the new revelation he was bringing to earth. While the Jews looked at God as a king over everything and the father of their nation, Jesus was saying that God was every person's loving father. Again and again, he impressed on the apostles that we are supposed to look at God as our personal father, that God is not a judge and bookkeeper recording everything wrong that we do just so that he can use our sins against us when sitting in final judgment over all creation. When Thomas asked who this God of the kingdom was, Jesus said, God is your father, and religion, my gospel, is nothing more nor less than believing the truth that you are his son. And I am here among you in the flesh to make both of these ideas clear through my life and teachings. Jesus also tried to stop the apostles from offering up daily animal sacrifices to God as part of their religious duties. But they had a hard time understanding why, and it was a hard habit for them to break. Jesus, though, didn't give up. When one way didn't work for everyone, 
he'd try another. At the same time, Jesus started to teach the apostles how they were to comfort and minister to those who were sick. First, he taught them to look at the whole person, the union of their mind, body, and spirit, to see that unique man or woman. Then, Jesus told the apostles that they would run into three types of problems and how to help a person with each of them. They were actual physical sickness or disease, mental and emotional problems, and possession by evil spirits. Jesus explained to his apostles several times the nature and origin of evil spirits, which in that day were also known as unclean spirits. While the apostles didn't know the difference between insanity and someone being possessed, Jesus did. And, given the apostles didn't know about the early history of the earth, he couldn't fully explain the difference to them. But about these evil spirits, Jesus did tell the apostles many times that after he had ascended to his Father in heaven, poured out his Spirit on all flesh, and brought forth the kingdom in great power and spiritual glory, that they, evil spirits, would no longer bother people. From week to week and month to month throughout this entire year, the apostles paid more and more attention to healing the sick. Okay, everyone, that's it for Son of Man, Urantia, chapter 20.1, beginning the public work. Next week, we'll finish up with part two of chapter 20. Okay, get with it, my friends. Defend your liberty, protect your kids, and serve man for God. Bob Keezer, out here.